0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another week. My name is Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels is back in the hot seat after a couple of weeks of R&R and Christian Jolly from Champion Data is here with you again. We've given Jared Barker the sack after this big call from uh, last week on Hawthorne. I don't, see, I don't see him winning a game, really, Wow, that's this a big year. call. Really? No, We've done our big calls already, why couldn't you bring this out here? <laughs> Jake, uh, you're not going to be making any of those sort of outlandish calls uh, this week, are you? No, I think I've made a few already before I went away, so um, <laughs> we'll get to that shortly, but gee, does he get another go, Jared, after that? Christian, you're the stats man, that's got to be the worst five-day turnaround anyone's ever had. Oh, yeah, it was a pretty quick turnaround, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, Jake, are you ready to go, though, because you have had, uh, had the delayed start to the season, a bit like Tom Hawkins at Geelong. Are you going A bit like f- Geelong. Are you going to hit form right away, or...? Oh, I hope so. You'll have to be the
0: judge of that. Um, It was good. I had a good trip away and uh, ready to go again. Uh, watched a lot of footy over the break as well. Excellent. Um, which was good and uh, yeah. Already round three.
1: I know. Just round three uh, what, in the books. 20, 19 rounds to go. <laughs> <laughs> plus finals. Plus, plus, plus. Uh, plenty to talk about this week. Obviously, the Cats are in big strife at 0-3. Umpire descents back in the limelight. There's carnage at the Eagles. And the Saints continue to impress. And it's not their big names that tend to be doing it. Before we get cracking, though, something from the weekend you noticed, Jay Michaels.
0: Well, I guess it's not really from the weekend. And I always tend to break the rules for this segment, as you... <laughs> point out and mock me for It was for refreshing the over the last couple of weeks, with Jared. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Came with one, one idea, it was good, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I've got to be honest. It's, it's about Collingwood, and I think our Collingwood fans out there deserve uh, an apology, and I'm going to give them one. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. I've been wrong about the Pies for the last eight months. They're the best team in football right now, I think. They're playing as well as anybody. They're obviously undefeated, and they don't look like losing. they are beaten good opposition. They're playing well. They've got contributors all over the park. And they're a scary team. I don't know if there's a team that you can say is better than them right now.
1: No, I would agree with that. I think they're possibly flag favourites. I think my flag favourite of Melbourne, despite a couple of hiccups here and there, I think I'm still sticking with them. But yeah, if they're, but if they're playing tomorrow, I mean... That's... King's it's birthday a, bring it forward. Absolutely. It's a it's a, it sounds weird saying that, doesn't it? King's birthday. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to that closer to yeah. to June. But yeah, and no, I I agree with you. I think the Pies are one of those sides that play a lot on confidence as yeah. well. They look like they're such a tight-knit group. Um you know, And it's very much like the, you know, when Richmond
0: was, you know, that's another call we'll we'll get to a bit later. Richmond gee, what's happened there? But when they were up and about, it's like you always felt they had that extra what do they call the 19th man of the crowd? It's the same thing with Collingwood. It's just like when they're up and about playing at the MCG, they are
1: hard to stop. Mm. We saw against Port, they had 60,000 in the house, uh, you know, against the New States side, 85 on the weekend against Mm. Richmond. It's just, you know, when you've got that kind of support behind you as well, you must just feel like you're running on air. Yeah, um, You
0: know what the biggest shame is, as uh, Carlton supporters on this
1: podcast? <laughs>
0: Carlton Collingwood, round 10. Feels very late for a Carlton Collingwood yeah, game. Crying out season. for like
1: a round three Friday oh, night, wasn't it? That'd be epic, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been nice. Uh, but they got uh, the Tigers instead, so you can't win them all, can you? No, you can't, um, as I obviously didn't.
0: So, uh, yes, apologies to our Collingwood listeners out there. Um, we'll clip that one up and
1: uh, put that on the socials. Then. And,
0: uh, yeah, I th- I'm excited to watch them. Hey, I love any
1: team that doesn't rely on a Ruckman. <laughs> very good Christian something from the weekend that took your fancy um, yeah one of the sort of ultimate redemption stories uh,
2: probably in Statsland anyway so Jamari Eagle um, was in the news obviously after round um, his round two game uh, I think he took a day away from the club and all the you know the disgusting things that happened to him online but on field, he was sort of struggling as well. So he was the bottom rated player in the first two games, um, round one and two, uh, in the comp and in his game. So he was a, he was the lowest rated player in round one in that match. He was the lowest rated player in round two. He was the highest rated player this week against Brisbane. So he's become the first. He's, he's the twenty fourth player to go from bottom rated player to top rated player the very next week, but the first person to do it after being bottom rated two weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. Five so kicks, five turnaround. goals. Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't a huge quantity game, but there was the quality that he did. Um, obviously, the, the, the vision he gave us on the night as well, lifting his jumper, is good to see. But again, as I said, this, this a redemption story told in stats. This
1: is a guy who's 20, 21, maybe. Um, I'll need to fact check that. But for the week that he would have gone through as well, um, to get the support he needed at the club, to get the support from his friends in the stands afterwards, mm. to then also have a good game. Like, I don't think anyone would have excused him if he'd been off his boil again. Uh, but but for him to come out and be the match winner really was yeah. just an incredible scene I was, to see. I
2: was surprised that he was named. I, I was just not expecting him to play, have a week off, my' yeah. think go and get it, right. Yeah. yeah. The
0: the positive, the positive part of it, um, and it's obviously a horrible horrific story that you wouldn't want any any person to go through. But I think it really does show and highlight how supportive football clubs are in in helping players through these these things um and i think the vast majority of fans 90 999 out of a thousand fans yeah are going to be the complete opposite they're going to be super supportive mm. and helpful and i think that then makes you play better i think i th- a- a- as terrible as it is you know there is a lot of
1: there, the far more better people out there than yep. shit ones absolutely and is that our second swear word for the year already we're done Jake, you've come, come in firing. Yeah. Um, something I noticed, obviously, the dissent rule is going to get uh, a lot of attention, and we'll, we'll briefly talk about it as well. Uh, but just interesting to know that not uh, even the umpires sometimes get names wrong still. So Steve Cornelio was the guy who who gave away the free kick, and umpire Craig Fleer was talking to Lockie Whitfield about why it was paid in such a crucial spot, um, you know, the Blues barely holding on and, and then kicked a goal to sort of kick away a bit in the, in the fourth term. um. But Whitfield was sort of asking, what was that for? What was that for? No, no, it wasn't you, said the umpire. It was Steve Caniglio. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but the Giants released a whole song about this. They did. Can you re- remember how it goes? Would you uh, like to I'm give us a I'm not going to
0: sing it. I think you were singing it before, so <laughs> go ahead if you want. But no. yes, the pronunciation. Yes.
1: So it's Caniglio.
0: Yeah, it is. He said, himself. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. That was the whole song, wasn't it? Yeah. So that's bizarre. Mm. Is that... Does Umpires, that... I think you, you you chat a lot to the players as an umpire throughout the uh throughout the game. And would you be a bit offended if you were Steve Knealea? He's a pretty good player, and play. It's not like it's yeah. his first or second year. It's well, not that... like he's Ruben Ginby getting called Ginby or something. <laughs> in in talking about that, in round one, there was one get, There was a free kick paid
2: against Darcy Wilmot, and he was the same. He was sort of cracking it with the umpire, and you know, really sort of. Obviously, not too demonstrative because he didn't give away a fifty. But the umpire sort of to ca- calm him down said, "Okay, Will, I understand. Will, just be quiet." I'm like, now you're calling him by oh, the wrong name. It's yeah. going to be infuriating him even more. Yeah, that would annoy me. Uh, it's
0: funny. It's always the first couple of rounds of the year. Some of the newer players playing, and the, they'll say free
1: kick for number forty-two. Yeah. They just Essendon. won't know who it is. Free kick Essendon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the the dissent rule. Look, I've watched a a lot of the games of the weekend, almost all of them, and. I was at a wedding on the way. It was very nice. Um, but I can tell you now, it's not good for watching footy sometimes when you've got people getting married and you're trying to like keep an eye on the scores and all that. But um, the one thing I, I will say is that there could have been at least 50 free kicks paid for similar things that weren't paid. So I'm all for dissent not being in our game and, and umpires coming down hard on this kind of stuff. But when it comes either in the last quarter like it did and they haven't been paying similar things all day, or it just gets plucked out of the blue. That's where I start to get a bit confused about where we're going with that rule.
0: Yeah, well, there's obviously a massive problem with it, and we've seen this since it was introduced. What do you do? That's the that's the million dollar question because Ooh. it's a subject it's a subjective call, um, and some pies are calling it, and others aren't. And, and that's and I- why,
2: again, I don't know if it if it helped or infuriated people more. There there was a statement put out last night. I think it was by Dan Richardson, uh, the head of the umpiring. Yep. Basically, standing by the umpire, saying that it is a case by case thing. If mm. the umpire feels like they've been disrespected and you're being demonstrative back, they can pay the fifty. He said in that instance, he's comfortable that that's how the umpire felt. Yeah. So again, you know, we talk about what are we going to do with it, how we're going to make it better. I think the umpires just have to stand their ground and say we're going to pay it when we feel it. Like you, you don't know when it's coming, and it, and it is a little bit annoying. You know, you don't want it to change the results that, of games. Do you want and...
0: those to be paid?
2: I think so. If, again, I'm a big stickler. If they're in the rules, the umpires have to stand by themselves. But should and they be in the rules? Yes. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why. I don't, again, it's going to take a lot of retraining, but I don't, I don't see a reason why an, a player should say anything to the umpire in the middle of the game. Mm. There, is, there is no reason to say one word to the umpire, whether it it's friendly or not friendly. Is it, or is it the, well, throwing well,
1: the, throwing the throwing the arms up? Yeah, or is it, it a combination? It seems like that's a combination. But you do look at other codes. You look at rugby, international rugby, super rugby. They address the umpire as sir or the referee as sir. And it's always quite polite and, and the referee won't take this kind of stuff. I know we're not going to probably get to that point with footy, um, but there's got to be a line somewhere. It's just, it's I think just Razor more so... Ray would like Sir Razor Ray, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just more about sort of where you can kind of consistently have that line because it does mm. seem to be sort of bouncing I around. I think that's going it? to be the biggest problem. There's, from the outside looking in, there's not going to be
2: consistency because they're going to be plucked out of the blue. But as I said, I, I think if the AFL stand, stand their ground and keep so, sort of coming out and backing the umpires, yep. hopefully the players just stop doing this in three or four years' time, we forget that this
1: ever happened. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's move into the main body of the podcast. We were talking a little bit about accuracy, especially earlier in the week. There are a couple of teams that really butchered, uh, really butchered their shots in front of goal, Christian. Um, the pies were quite... Um, inaccurate on, on Friday night and really let the, left the Tigers, uh, left the door ajar for the Tigers. Uh, and the Blues, as we sort of said, nearly squandered a chance up at Sydney to to win with uh, some of their shots at goal. Got us sort of thinking about where accuracy is, because we've talked about this a few times on this podcast throughout the years, and sort of how earlier in the season it does seem that accuracy can be a bit better, grounds are drier, um, weather's better, this kind of stuff, but it sort of hasn't been that way this season so far. No, and again, accuracy is probably... It- it probably reached, you know, the
2: low point or sort of the, you know, it was in the news the most. Probably 2019 is when we really, 2017, 2018, 2019, just continually dropped.
0: That's when it was dropping uh, by like a percent each yeah, year. Yeah, nearly right? every
2: year. So we sort of hit rock bottom um, back then. So we're a little bit blessed in 2021. Accuracy did come back up, um, but we're sort of back down again this year, early stages. So again, you can talk accuracy and, and then when you talk about a raw number of, you know, how accurate people are, people talk about, well, they're taking harder shots or they're taking them from further out or they're under more pressure. Basically, any way you slice and dice it, accuracy has gone down. So whether you're looking at from distance or what type of pressure you wear compared to 10 years ago, uh, players are hitting their shots less. So just a good comparison. I mean, you look at accuracy from shots taken within the corridor. Um, So this year, we're at 52.7% shot at goal accuracy from within the corridor. So just over, you know, just over one in two shots from directly in front of, of scoring a goal. And that's sort from of, any any distance, any distance. So, so what the is corridor. the corridor defined as? In, is, uh, it, is it between the big sticks, between no, all sticks? Basically, the uh, the center square. Yep. Okay. The center square and drawn straight down. Yep. Yep. So that could still be a relatively it's a very slight angle, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So that seems very low. 50, yeah. So like fifty-two point seven. Uh, last year we're at fifty-four percent. As I said, fifty-one point eight. Twenty twenty was actually the lowest number for that one. So we we're down to fifty-one point eight in twenty twenty. Twenty nineteen, we're at fifty-one point nine. 2010, though, you go back to that those those days, 62.8% from within the corridor. So 10%, you know, 527 could it um, Could it be so a set shot thing? Is it because is it players are having shots on the run from the corridor more? So then again, you just look at set shots. So this is taking out, again, I can combine set shots and corridor, but I've just looked at set shots by themselves. So 2023, we're at 53.7% of set shots going for a goal. Last year, 534 so we're slightly up, up on that. Again, 2020, we're at a low point of 52%. 2010, 60.2%, so another 7%, 8% jump. So it was only 13 years ago where sort of, yeah, six of 10 shots were going through for a goal from set shots, and we're down to just over 50% uh, this year. So it's a continual drop, and it's it's been a long-term part of the game. Again, it, it doesn't come down to game situation. We're not getting having more shots missed because of the, of the way the game's played. Mm. So again, it's... You know, hard to think about, but I think one of the one of the things I think that hasn't been explored is more players are taking shots at goal. I think yeah, growing yeah. up as a kid, maybe not so much 2010, which is the number we are using, but definitely in the 90s, you probably had your six forwards hit the score sheet and maybe a couple of midfielders. Now, even if you're looking at the behinds column, you're seeing 10 or 11, yeah. 12 scorers per game. Yeah. Guys have a Charlie one on the weekend. <laughs> it was a good goal too. <laughs> um, so whether it is, it's just the, it's a personnel type thing. We don't have the, you know, you're not recruited. Hmm. Purely for your goal kicking anymore. You yeah. have to have another stringy bow. But because I is, think it's. It isn't as simple as they're taking harder shots because yeah. even their easier shots or harder shots are less accurate than previous years. And
0: I think we'd all agree, I think we, us three, would, but I reckon even the older generation would agree that the players of today are a lot more skilled than the players of previous generations. They're also
1: running further. They're yeah. also, you know, learning a lot more. They're in zones. They're, they're running off their player. Yeah. They're doing all this kind of stuff where they, where they are, are, are like applying themselves mm-hmm. mentally and physically. Probably a lot more than they did in the 80s. So, his so that's, an yeah, argument that that I've, that's an argument that I've heard, where players are running
0: so much that by the time you take your shot, seconds. you're knackered. Matty but, Lloyd took a minute and a half to line up back in the day. Well, he did. But the, pro- the the problem with that logic is, well, why are players missing in the first two minutes of matches when <laughs> they shouldn't be tied? So it's it's another one of those questions where it's like, well, how do you fix it? How I'm, I'm sure the AFL is looking at this. I'm sure the AFL wants wants to. Or do they? Do the Does the AFL care?
1: Is it? Does it? A, make, a game's not know, entertaining, I entertaining worse? enough. I mean, yeah, How many goals I do you need?
2: Me, I don't. Again, goals or accuracy. I think they'd be measuring points for, but accuracy probably wouldn't come into their, Like for the AFL. I'm not
0: sure how you can take how if it's at fifty-two percent now, and you said we have to get it to sixty-two percent for next year. What do you do to get it to that point? Won, aside from making goals. the post, yeah, making it bigger, <laughs> just take them out and have one big goal. Build the roof stadium in Tassie. Um, I don't like know. I'm serious though. Like I don't know what what you can really do, and I don't necessarily. I rarely will watch a game and think, "Gee, the accuracy has just been horrific." Just, Every I did now that twice th- this weekend. Yes, but there's it. You can not, you can get to a point where it's oh a team is team kicked five goals eleven yeah but you know three of them were impossible shots two of them were rush shots and there might be two that say like, okay should have kicked them yeah so a I think the actual well. the yeah so the actual goals behinds tally at the end of a game might not kind of resemble just how accurate a team right. was and then you look at the D's on the weekend they were pretty accurate yeah so I think from game to game as well you, you, that's the thing that's why I always laugh when people oh it's an inaccurate team it's like yeah but it just changes one week to the next changes one quarter to the next.
1: Yeah. Uh, any other nuggets on accuracy before we move on? I mean, we're just talking about expected scores. So,
2: again, talking about early season. So, if you look at expected scores, across, on average, teams are sort of leaving behind three points on average on the score based on accuracy. They're scoring three points below what they used to score based so on the last. So, that's like league-wide, everyone's. Yeah. So, looking at every shot taken from 2013 up until now, how you're scoring compares to that accuracy. Mm. So Which, guys, makes sense with the accuracy dropping yeah so we're at negative three points per game this year we're at plus three points per game last year um but again 2020 we're at negative 6.5 points per game. So more than a goal of accuracy off so yes we're in the negative this year but i think yeah that the, it was more three or four years ago that the, it was really dire the accuracy
1: it's come back a little bit but it's still probably not 2020 was. was an interesting one as well because so many games were played up in queensland a bit greasier perhaps at different times of the year as well um Fewer shorter quarters, players in hubs like I, I, a few, few home games yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you know different size grounds and what you might be used to. Say if you're a Geelong playing at the Gabba instead of a GMHBA uh-huh. Stadium. So a uh, few few things there, I guess to to consider as well. But all
2: in all, we do have the you know what we. It's not a great way to look at it, but the expected scores ladder. So if all results had gone by accuracy this year, there's only been really two uh, match result changes based on accuracy this year. So Carlton Richmond shouldn't have been a draw around one. Obviously, Richmond should have won that. And the only other one is Fremantle should have beaten North Melbourne in round two, uh, which they ended up losing by a point or so. So,
1: yeah, we haven't seen teams really cost themselves yet with accuracy, mm-hmm. but it's not too long before it will happen. There you go. Cats uh, in a bit of strife, Jake. Geelong is more like Jezlong Long at the moment because it's <laughs> Jeremy Cameron and that's about it.
0: <laughs> when did you write that one? No, I
1: didn't actually write that one. Shout out to Molly in our office. Uh, I think he, her and her friends came up with that one and I said, I'm, I'm writing that down. Very good. Um... Oh and three. Mm. Who could have seen that coming? First up? time since seventy six, the reigning premier has gone winless through three rounds. I believe. Yeah, and first,
0: uh, it's actually. I was just thinking this morning. It's is it weird that we've we've only got one team that hasn't won a game after three rounds? I feel like after three rounds, you'd still have at least two or three that
2: haven't. Yeah, I I, I thought the same thing. I haven't had a look, but it did feel a bit low that yeah. And then you
0: say, well, it's who who is it? North Hawthorn? Yeah. No,
1: it's Geelong. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's um. It's concerning. I mean, we touched on this at the start of the one of the first podcasts when we were doing our predictions, and we were saying, Geelong are going to be hungry enough this year. After winning the premiership last year, after finally getting you know, the the emotion of Joel Salwood and his retirement, Patrick Dangerfield finally, win, finally winning a premiership, Chris Scott getting his second one, and the Cats justifying their approach. How do they back up this year? And that was kind of the question mm. we had. But I don't think any of us had any doubt that they would be... Uh, a premiership contender, certainly a,
1: a finalist. Yeah. This, I mean, look, how much has changed in three weeks? Let's... Uh, a lot of recency bias can, can kind of haunt footy, but we look back at last season and the Cats were four and five. I know it's a long way to, mm. to go to, to to get even to that point. Um, but at four and five, I think they lost to St Kilda. Everyone was kind of saying, well, maybe they've finally fallen off the perch. They then rattle off 15 straight and go and win the flag. So I'm not... I'm not writing them off by any stretch. Let's, oh, I think,
0: I
2: think you'd be foolish to write and, them off.
1: And there was a lot of talk about that, um, whether, you know, there probably has
2: been previous seasons, but I know on the back of last year, Melbourne won their first 10 games in a row and mm. sort of hit a wall later mm. in the season. I think previous years, Chris Scott made a talk about they've, they've sort of just been just hammered by the time they got to preliminary final. They've used up all, you know, they've spent all, their, sort of, all of their credits and, and haven't been able to pick at the right time. So clubs have been talking very much about Peaking at the right time, we saw what Geelong did with Dangerfield last year. I think they're doing the same thing with yep. Duncan, trying to get him right and fit. So again, I know Geelong would have went in with you know lower expectations for the first few rounds, but again, to sit zero and three, I don't think they'd be panicking. I think they'd still be like hopefully working towards peaking at the right time of the year. But you're right, when you're the only team left winless, it's sort concerned. of like you're, you're yeah you're, and you're, you're giving the rest of the it, competition right. a head start. Yeah, it's
0: all well and good to rest players and build in form, but. If you finish ninth, wh- what's it for?
1: Yeah, and we we talked we talk a lot about um, on this podcast and about the cats in previous years about sort of the the bottom six players of that club. Oh, I feel like this is rough bringing this up after they won the, they've won the flag no, and no, now no, we're no, like but, but going back. But those guys to the had seat. those guys had excellent years. The, you yeah. know, people who who might be on the but like this year you've got guys like Tanner Boom comes to the side, Henry comes into the side, um, Bose comes into the side, mm. and you're getting outputs that are pretty. You know. Used to what they've been doing at their, their previous clubs, you mm. know nothing. They're not taking a massive leap yet. Mm. Hawkins is clearly underdone. Um, Dangerfield is is struggling, and and so, you know, I still think that once, if and when this club can kind of click, they'll be a lot better than, than what their their current um, zero and three ledger suggests. Yeah. But like even guys like Stengel, like he had a year last year where he had so much to prove, and delivered. Really, really well, Um, you know, helped helped win a flag, was kicking goals, was showing everyone that, yeah, I belong at the AFL level and and I've changed for the better, that kind of stuff. Brad Close, at the moment, averaging 10 touches and half the tackles that he was last year, three or three games. It's like he was a really important role player for them last year and just hasn't fired. So I guess these kind of issues are exacerbated when it's not just one or two players that are playing inconsistently. Mm. Gary Rowan, you mentioned before, he's a cream player. You get six touches and two goals out of him This week, and it's like, is that it? Whereas you get six goals, six touches, and two goals out of him in a grand final when they win, and you Mm. go, not bad, you know, role player. He's a cream player. So, (laughs) at the end of the day, I think you can kind of, I think clubs can kind of, you know, if if two or three players have down days, you can kind of mask that. But it seems like half the clubs having a down day.
0: And that's that's exactly how it is in sport. When you're winning, people don't look at those players. You you just, well, we're winning. Why change anything? But when you start losing, and the players are doing the exact same thing, say well gee he isn't contributing well that's what he was doing last year yeah It, but I think all of this tells me one thing we don't give the pl- the teams that win back to back or you know the three peats enough credit no absolutely it's not it's so hard to go back to back it's know? hard to win one it's hard to, of course it's hard to win one and then to have that motivation to hunger to go and hunger, do it again yeah.
1: it's just those teams don't get enough credit I feel so one thing I will throw out there five of their last eight games are at GMHBA yeah. I haven't played one there yet I, look I don't think it is there anyone, any of us feel like they're not going to be, m- be playing
0: finals? I certainly don't. I think they're still going to... I still think they're in... I still tip them for finals from here.
2: Yours, I, st- I, I I wouldn't again, be surprised if they're top four at the end ev- of the every year. Every week that goes past, though, I must say, I find it harder and harder to see them winning the Premiership. I'm, I'm, I haven't put a line through them yet, but I'm still got i pretty confident they'll make the finals. But again, it is. It's a pretty big head start to give the rest of the competition. It like, is. You know, it, it, funny just to pluck two, you know, two random teams out but they're three games behind St Kilda at the moment <laughs> like, if you had said that to them at the start of the
1: year they yep. would have been in panic mode So I think as well like you look at this club and the way that they finished last year and I know that, you know we're talking about doing the same thing but players will build consistency Hawkins will get fitter yeah. uh, Duncan these guys they'll, they'll, it'll be okay it will be okay will I wouldn't be. want to be the club that finishes fifth and has to play Geelong in the first no. week of the finals when they've won eight out of their last twelve yeah and
0: the good news for Cats fans um so it's West Coast and Hawthorne in the next two. Sorry, Hawthorne and West Coast in the next two. And then the grand final rematch against Sydney at GMHBA round six. So they should be three and two going into that game against Sydney and hmm. they get to three and three, beat Sydney again, and then all of a sudden everyone's saying that they can go go and do it again. So I but think it's crazy yeah. to write them off. but yeah, I think if they if
1: put it, if Hawthorne beat them, yeah. Gee. Certainly changes. Uh, we've really enjoyed this stat the last couple of weeks, Christian, the one stat from each team uh, that was sort of telling in the week that was. Uh, do we start on Thursday night and going back and looking at the Dogs and the Lions? Great game of football. <laughs> 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 it was it was a pretty
2: tough start of the week. The first two games, oh, I mean, yeah, were very, very, very tough watchers. Uh, the Bulldogs, though, I think for them, their ground ball was back, so... Um, they did win ground ball against Melbourne in round one by fourteen, uh did quite well but got smashed in round two. They were plus twenty eight against the Lions on the weekend, which is their third best result since the start of the last season. But it is it's almost one of those stats that sort of just correlates well with winning. So the Bulldogs since the start of last season, if they win, ground ball gets uh by fifteen or more, they're nine wins and one loss. As I said, they won it by good. fourteen mm-hmm. in round Hungry one in against Melbourne um but didn't quite get the roll result so if they're, they're if they're under plus 15 for ground ball gets so they might still win it like plus 14 plus 13 there are only four wins and 12 losses so we sort of talk about the bulldogs and yeah exactly they're they're manic they're, their midfield just bats so deep and they're so manic it is it's the the ground balls that they win across the ground the way they sort of mop up contest and um and get the ball moving forward that's been their greatest strength in previous years but again, it's a pretty high reliance you to, as I said, to win it by plus thirteen and plus fourteen, but still not get the result on the scoreboard shows that they really, really need to dominate that ground ball get because they're probably their bookends are so light on that they do concede scores a little bit too easy compared to good teams, mm. and they don't score as heavily as the good teams either. So, uh, ground ball back for them. But again, a lot of that was in the back half. So Dale Bailey Dale had twelve ground ball gets in round three. Only had nine the first two weeks law was a big inclusion, so he had 12 uh, on the weekend. Um, only had four the first two weeks cause he only played the one game. And Alex Keith though had another eight ground ball gets, so a bit you know Bailey Dale and Alex Keith are doing it deep mm. in defence, but still some big numbers there um, across all of them. Looking at Brisbane's point of view, it was just their ball use was basically horrible. So they retained possession <laughs> with 54 54% of their kicks, which was like ranked last for the round, um, and that's just been a, a, a stat that's sort of been a worry for them all year. So Across the season, they're just a slightly above that number, so 53.9%, which is the lowest uh, in the comp. Was that a comp. trend from last year? Uh, they were a bit high. They were below average, but they weren't... I think they, I was they were 13th or 12th. Worrying when you're doing that at Marble Stadium under the roof as well. Exactly. So that's what I was looking at, the, the, the conditions and the, and the type of kicks they were hitting. So uh, so just on the comp, the comp average is 60% retained from kicks, and they're, they're down below 54%. But, yeah, 31 giveaways by kick. So that's basically like either pressured or unpressured, but you're kicking to an uncontested opposition player. So you're not kicking to a pack and the opposition winning the ball. Um, 31 31 giveaways by kick are things like out in the full or kicking straight to an uncontested mark for a Bulldogs player. Um, So that was the second most of any side for the round. And they only averaged 24.8 metres per kick, which was the third lowest. So they weren't going for the long... And they were still not retaining them. Yeah, they weren't going for the long, fast kicks and trying to sort of... Uh, play with a lot of dare. It was it was short kicking um, that was just being turned over. So yeah, kicking's been a major worry for the Lions so far. Mm. Um, retention rate across the season: Danaher's at 17%, Zach Bailey's 22%, McLuggage 36%, Lockie Neal 42%. Lockie Neal's always around the 50% mark, but 42 is quite low. Uh, Charlie Cameron, Jack Gunston, 43%. So a lot of a lot of their players are
1: under
2: 50%. Mm. I think it goes rate. to show
1: though that they've still got a lot of room for improvement this squad. Clearly, Uh, again, another side that probably needs needs to sort of build into the season a bit, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the same sort of thing with Geelong, but uh, how long can you take before Mm. the season's done?
1: Yeah, true. Uh, On Friday night, the Pies and the Tigers? Yeah, so, I mean,
2: sort of combining the two, but yeah, for Richmond, it was, um, so negative 19 inside 50s was their fourth worst result since the start of uh, 2021. They were negative 14 minutes for time in forward half, so... Again, Hardwick's been big on the first two rounds. They haven't played well, but he's called it. You know, we're still seeing a Richmond game, and a Richmond game is not not a lot more. Just you know, often fewer disposals than the opposition, but a lot more territory. We just we own territory, but that didn't work for him on Friday night. So, um, yeah, it was a scrappy game. It was the even for Collingwood? So on the flip side, Collingwood had the lowest disposal efficiency of any team for the round, but as I said, number one for time in forward half. So. It wasn't pretty for Collingwood, but again, they, they kept winning the contest, they kept winning the territory, and it ba- basically just got them, got them home uh, by the end of the game. So yeah, as I said, yeah, really low disposal efficiency in that game. But yeah, one of the highlights just to make Collingwood even scarier is uh, one of Jake's boys, Jordan deGoey, So career high, 35 mm. disposals, career high, 12 ground ball gets. So just another one of Collingwood are pretty scary the first two weeks, and their best, you know, one of their best players is probably getting better.
0: Is he their best player?
1: We might ask that question a bit later in the, uh, I think in the we podcast. Will. I think I've jumped the gun there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hawks. Um, yes, one on the weekend. Uh, much to they think, did. The, the ire of uh, JB who thought he, they might go winless. Uh, what did they do well against the Kangas who were going and into that game at 2-0? Stuck
2: to their guns. So everything they were smashed for in the first two rounds that I you know, basically said, this is what Sam Mitchell is coaching into the team. It's ball movement. It's nice open play. It's it's keep the ball Yeah, basically keep the ball moving in space and keep it moving forward. So there were plus 82 uncontested possessions for the match. Uh, Next best for the round was plus 34. So they just kept flicking it around between themselves, maintaining possession. Um, And it's the second biggest differential in a game this year. The only team that's had more uncontested possessions than their opposition was Port when they smashed Brisbane in round one. Um, And, uh, you know, an underrated contested possession is your loose ball get. So again, based by the name, a lot of people think that's an uncontested possession, but a loose ball get is... Basically, a contested possession that's won outside of a pack. So, a lot of them are after spoils or sharking an opposition. So, a loose ball
0: get is a contested.
2: Loose ball get and a hard ball get both go in the same column. They're both contested possessions. They're just the qual. Basically, hard ball Uh, get is a lot of traffic around you, and that's why loose ball gets are a lot more valuable than a hard ball get because the disposal efficiency from a loose ball get. Again, the numbers are probably 5 or 10 years old now, but I think it's a good 5, 10% higher. that You're, you're more likely to hit a target from a loose ball get than a hard ball get. It's a good one. They were plus 21 loose ball gets. Um, Bulldogs and Collingwood were better this round. Um, but it's, yeah, about the, the, the third best result for the Hawks across the last three or four years. So, How about
0: a shout-out to uh, Dylan Moore? I've been saying this
1: for, for years, and you've been poo pooing me. When about have it. you ever said? Hang on a minute. When have you ever said anything about Dylan Moore? I've been big big on the Dylan Moore bandwagon. Really? Yeah. I reckon. So I reckon. Been a, data been a champion. Been data too.
2: one as well. This three years ago, we had him elite. That's right. Yeah. Along alongside Jack Sinclair. Since I might you said add, that, I've been watching closely, and I've been, been, about and been happy about it. Yeah. Dylan and Moore and, you, and, and Jack Sinclair are been... both sort of.
1: I said you should have him in your best fifty players, and you said no.
0: I don't remember that conversation. Oh, but if I was doing it today. I you what, there's probably five guys that LDU's gotta get a Guernsey. There's a few players that are getting yes, in there. Maybe the
1: punters
2: were right. A
0: few of those few of those
2: older guys
0: probably deserve to be dumped yeah. out as well.
2: Good segue into LDU. I was gonna say so Hawks also number one moving the ball from back fifty to four fifty. So that's we know yeah. that's what they want to do. They want to yep. flip the ball around, they want to move it quick and it, it'll work for them on the weekend. But yeah, North were negative uh, nineteen across for clearances um across the game. They were plus fifteen in each of their first or plus thirty mm. across the first two rounds. But yeah, no LDU, no Simpkins. so um, big loss. Yeah, Seriously. so they'd had a what was it? They had a, thirty-six of their fifty odd clearances in the first two weeks between those two LDU that's and nuts, Simkins. Yeah. So to so take it's those, lot, to, to, yeah, it's lot to try and cover. Take those two out was basically just that's where it all started for North. Again, talked about the first two rounds was they were able to get their hands on the ball first and sort of you know match it with teams at, at either end. This one, they couldn't get the hands to it first. And then when Hawthorne got the ball, Hawthorne were able to move it too easy. So, Mm. um, yeah, big game for them on Friday. But I think uh, they'll both become... I think Simkin will be a chance to come in. And LDU, I think, was just a cork calf. So, uh, yeah, need those two players back at the stoppages.
1: Definitely. Uh, They play the Blues this week. They played the Giants up in Sydney. Uh, What are your thoughts out of that game? What really stood out to the champion Um, data officers? 920, Carlton. I think I said it in the in the, about the first two as well, but this
2: was a hard watch as well. This was, uh, I think, again, just on TV, that was one of the worst surfaces I'd seen in terms of not fur mud or slipping over, it just looked so patchy, patchy. and, yeah. They just haven't even had uneven. the Easter Show yet there. Exactly. So it, it didn't look good. But, or Ed Sheeran. <laughs> so the ones that I noticed, it was the most meters gained in a game this year. But I don't think that was like sexy meters ga- Yeah, for- combined both teams yeah. just gained Once more the meters. Turnover, turnover. Kick, but kick. exactly that, I think it was a lot of. I think what distance Carlton, are we talking? Like fifteen k, uh, twenty ks? I have no uh, idea. No, it was thirteen. So thirteen k's. Um, it was about yeah thirteen thousand or something. Not that so far is it? That's how <laughs> um, far the ball travels? That's how much the ball's travelling. Yeah. So again, I think Carlton was a lot of dump kicks forward. Um, and you know we know they like to sort of handball backwards and kick forwards. They didn't have a lot of handball backwards um, on the day, whereas the Giants was more going forward by handball. So do different styles. So Giants gained 500 metres just from handball across the game. That's a new club record. Mm. And it's been the big watch. We said that was Adam Adam Kingsley Kingsley bringing in the Richmond game style. So they've been at 300, 380. When when it works, it looks really good. Yeah, so there was 500. And you can just watch, um, yeah, uh, basically said you can watch Carlton Giants and it was two game styles. Carlton were kicking the ball and Giants were handballing the ball. Um, But yeah, it was... uh, Sort of, yeah, as I said, a record for them in terms of metres gained. But probably two individual performances. Uh, Toby Green, obviously, well held by Nick Newman. Mm. His five disposals. That's the second fewest he's ever had in a game. The only time he had lower, he played uh, 56 minutes um, in a game in 2018, which was also against Carlton, uh, where he went off with a hamstring injury. but. The Giants won that game by 105 points. I don't think they missed him in that game, that but the, uh, the game where they had 16 on the field. I reckon, we were, yeah, it was. We were yeah. talking about this before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that he was one of those, to <laughs> one of those seven or eight sitting on the bench in the last quarter. But yeah, so that's the is only that, game. Is that his,
1: Was he the worst rated player on the ground, or did that goal save
2: him? Uh, no, I don't th- yeah, I don't think he was a bottom. I can't tell you who the bottom rated of player off, off the, the bus. Sorry. yeah, no, I don't think he was the bottom rated for that game though. So. Sometimes that help again, it can help you um not touch the ball. So you're not doing enough negatives to actually go backwards. Whereas someone <laughs> that might have ten touches and five clangers might just screw themselves some points. But uh the other one I sort of wanted to put the heat on again, Carlton supporters, so nothing personal and great game, forty two disposals and there well, we go. Everyone sort of Free say votes. carry carry the team. I don't know about that. It it wasn't a very valuable forty-two disposal game, and as I said, it was a, a lot of dump kicks and things like that. Especially Talking for about someone Patrick Cripps, like by Patrick, the way. Patrick, yeah, Cripps. for someone like Patrick Cripps, you th- you feel like
0: kind of guy that he's not a player that gets forty a lot. He he's not that type of player, or even. You know, mid thirties. He's sort of high twenties. So. It's only
2: the third time I think. Oh, yeah, third time he's had forty. Uh, yeah, but forty two was a career high. But he had ten point eight rating points, which is the seventh lowest rating points with someone over forty disposal since twenty nineteen. So again, you are looking at sixty nine games of people getting at least forty touches, and he's the seventh lowest in Nathan terms of rating he didn't points. Know 13, Thirteen clearances, twenty contested possessions. I mean, it's yeah. So great. he he was in and under, he... and he was getting it first, yeah. but it was where that ball was going yeah. next that I don't think was as valuable. So again, um. Yeah, this year, just looking at him, his, his kicking came good last year and he won a brown off the back of it. 37% kicking efficiency this season, which is on track to be one of the worst midfielders in the comp. So Ooh, again, just his
1: ball use is yeah just something to keep an eye on. Keep an eye on that. Uh, the showdown on the weekend, Power and the Crows. Um, Riley Philthorpe, what do you think, Jake? Pretty good. Yeah, five majors. Yep. Um, he, he, kicked he, in the team he kicked five in his... Debut, didn't he? he? Certainly did against Hawthorne down mm. at uh,
0: down Tassie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's potential. They've got a
2: few of those guys across. Yeah, cries I, I'm time. very surprised at thought They just haven't just played him. Mm. So I think I, I know there's there's problems or issues of just gifting guys games at the start of their career that maybe don't deserve. But I feel like someone that's standing at 200 centimeters tall, that you're trying to play into the key position get player, him, get him at the level. He just needs minutes and he just needs game time. And he's kicked, as he said, five on debut. Um, five on the weekend. I think he's had another game where he kicked three or four last year where he sort of, you know, played his first game in, in 10 weeks and came good. So, yeah, he, uh, he was one of the big ones. So he was the seventh highest player of the round across the competition. The fifth highest player of the round was Isaac Rankin,
1: mm, who also was really kicked good. four straight. Was in, the, in the highest ranked players.
2: So, yeah, Rankin kicked four, six across the first two rounds. Um, but, yeah, his radar was on, four goals straight, five goals straight for Thilthorpe, um, which was one of their biggest – yeah, again, talk about how underrated accuracy sort of is when you're trying to um, judge your performance. So the first two weeks, they were round one. They were 16th for accuracy at 36%, then went to 37%, which was 16th again in round two, up to 56% on the on the weekend, which was the fourth highest. Um, again, so looking at the accuracy, to me, it didn't. They only got a few more shots bit within, but they've only taken 28% of their shots from within 30 meters this year, Adelaide, which is the fewest, lowest percentage of any team. So I do watch Rankin, Rochelle, a couple other guys. They do like to have those long bomb shots from 40-50. But again, it's one of those ones that if if Matty Nix is telling them to back themselves and take those shots, they're getting a lot of shots on goal per
1: game from Adelaide. They're just, yeah, taking the longer shots. There you go. What about the power? They were actually well in that game until halfway through the, the final term. It just sort of fell uh, fell apart when the, the crows were able to pile on a few quick ones. At yeah, time. I
2: was I was almost looked at. You know, I was tempted just to look at the last fifteen minutes from that game and sort of talk about how it fell apart. But again, across the night, their ball movement just didn't stack up. So, final quarter alone, they started twelve times in their back fifty with the ball. Only two times did they make it to the forward fifty for zero scores. Um, and in the same time, I think Adelaide scored four times from back fifty chains. Um, so across the game, they had uh, 59 chains starting their back 50. Only 13 made it inside 50, so that's 22% success rate, which is the second lowest of the round. And if you look at points scored from back half chains, they scored 12 points starting from their back half. Crows 45. So very big part of Port's game was they just could not move it out of their back line. Um, you know they were obviously they were likely to turn it over, and Adelaide were going to score, or they were just going to end up in stoppage and, and have to battle for the ball again. So. Yeah, a problem for them in this one game, but also being a problem for them this year is, is, you know, besides round one in, in the final two weeks, is their ball movement from the back half.
1: Which is, as we've learned, I think, in, in the last year or two in particular, it's quite important in today's modern game where that seems, seems to be the trend of trying to set up your scoring chains from well in defence. If you can't do that, you're in, you're in strife, and that's where the power finds themselves at one win and two losses. Uh, the Saints saluted on their 150th uh, year celebration in front of Nearly 70,000 at a home game, Jake. I think that's their one of their largest I attendances. Th- I
2: think I'd heard that it was their largest home and away, away attendance. attendance. Yeah,
1: yeah which, um, you know, a few famous people in attendance too. Saw uh, Plugger was in town. Eric Banner was in town. I'm sure Warnie would have been looking down from above as well. Uh, big day for the club, and, and they did really well to sort of uh, see off a challenge from Essendon and continue their undefeated 3-0 mm-hmm. ways. Big day for uh,
0: Mason Wood as well.
1: We're going to get to that as well. Yeah. You're jumping the gun a few times in this pod. What's going on? Am I? You are. I'm just excited to be back. <laughs> Uh, the Saints, yeah, so played really, really good looking
2: footy. So, um, they kicked forward 96% of the time, which was the third highest percentage of the round. Um, so continually moved the ball forward, but took one hundred and ninety marks. So, uh, which is also the third most of the round. So I sort of looked at, um, since 2012, that's sort of the highest percentage of kicking forward. Um, with the most marks, if that makes sense. So mm. usually you don't, if you're kicking forward about ninety percent, 95% of the time, your marks are probably going to be lower around 80 to 90 marks. Whereas, as I said, Essendon... Uh, sorry, St. Kilda took 190 marks. Usually that's because a lot of sideways and backwards kicking. So you usually see the kick forward percentage around 88% when teams are doing that. As I said, 96% forward plus 190 marks. They were just finding targets continually forward of the ball. Um, as I said, I, I worked on that game and it, it did it just... We talk about Ross Line and defence, and they, they just, they've considered the most disposals of any team. They're happy for the other team to have the ball, right. which is that the other team's not doing anything with it or going anywhere with it, whereas when the Saints got the ball, they were just finding holes 50 metres,
1: 40 metres ahead of the play so easily. Probably enjoyed the wider expanses of the MCG as well.
2: Yeah, which... but really, I I did that game and didn't realise until about 3pm that it was at the MCG. I thought I was yeah. going, going, I work from the office, but I thought I was going to watch a game from Marvel. So yeah, rare, rare home game at the MCG for them, but... Yeah, it seemed to suit their style really, really well.
1: Interesting.
2: Um, so, yeah, yeah, Essendon, as I said, 429 disposals was the second most uh, of any team for the weekend. 48 inside 50s, equal third fewer. So we can almost leave, it like, as I said, it's yeah. basically that's Ross Lyon for you right there. Have as much of the ball as you want. Just don't get it anywhere. But don't that, get that does close feel to a bit valuable. like
0: a, one of the criticisms of Essendon over the last couple of years, right? Yeah, but
2: it, it was the same number um, by the Bulldogs against the Saints. uh uh, was it Bulldogs? Uh, so, yeah, sorry, not the Bulldogs, but yeah, sim- similar numbers um, in the early rounds against the Saints as well. So it was Essendon's problem, but Essendon's problem was always too many handballs, too many sideways handballs out of the stoppage. Mm. This was basically once they took a mark in their back half or back 50, it's just, we'll let you go sideways and backwards as often as you want, but you're not coming forward against St. Kilda, and, and St. Kilda have been doing that for, for three weeks against all their opposition, mm. so.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, also on Saturday night we saw the Suns. Oh, sorry, on this is on Sunday now. We saw the Suns uh, upset Geelong. Um, Jack Lacocious from from seventy. What do you think of that? Firstly, Probably. fair kick. I would have I would have called him on. He said he's going to go for a shot. If I'm the controlling umpire, I'm saying no chance. You no, got seven my, seconds. The, the rule for me is if you have your if you're having a shot and you get your thirty
2: seconds and you don't score, the free kick. <laughs> happens from where the man on the mark I is for that like shot. I have been wow. saying it for three years. I don't, I don't understand how, t- how I players really can buy like themselves that. 20 seconds. But what if they
1: accidentally shank it?
2: I don't know, but the one I hate is when they say they're having a shot, they take yeah. the 30 seconds, yeah. Toby Green's the best at it, and then he Loves passes it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That should especially, be illegal. You should, especially not, late you should not be able to pass after <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds. So it, it yeah, is one of those ones where... Team. I like that. I'm big on the players not being able to the problem But added, then
0: the problem with that is if you mark 40 out and then you say you're taking a shot, then no one needs to man up anymore. Yeah. Or even 50. No one needs That's to man right. so up. up. So you the, can have set, someone standing there with yeah. 30 metres space. So they set up, can't up for kick the kick through. in. Set up for the... Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: yeah. fine. You've said you had a shot at goal. You've taken all options yeah. away. has well, nailed it. Uh, yeah. I think that was a, a pretty fair kick from him. Uh, and the Suns nailed the Cats. Where did you... What did you see from the Cats firstly, I think, that, that really sort of disappointed you? Um, Start wherever you want. Yeah. You can, so, that, I mean, they were outscored
2: by turnovers across the game. But I, I sort of looked at that and... and uh, looked, compared to last year, sort of looking at Geelong for the first three rounds after this game. And that has been the biggest change for them. So points scored from turnovers, they were scoring 59 points per game from turnovers last year. It's down to 41 this year, so three goals less they're getting themselves. Uh, and then going the other way, they were conceding 35 points from turnovers last year, 63 per game this year, so it's a 28-point turnaround there. So it's basically a a 46-point negative flip for for Geelong from scores from turnovers and and Gold Coast sort of outscored them from turnover, as I said. Um, last year as well, they were fourth best at going, um, fourth best at uh, contested possession, sorry. They're down to 17th this year. And in the midfield, that's down to 18th. So just not winning the contested possessions between the arcs at all. Uh, and that's where Gold Coast sort of took took probably that, you know, that stat and ran with it. They were plus 24 contested possessions on the on the game, which is their equal fourth best result since 2017 mm. for them as a club. Um, They were plus 16 clearances, which is their second best result since 2019. And just looking at Matt Rowell nine clearances. Miller and Anderson both won seven each. So there's 23 clearances between those three players.
1: Geelong as a team had 23 clearances combined. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a few problems in the Cats engine room as well, as well as sort of up forward. uh, Look, like we said before, we think they'll work into it, but it's a bit of an uphill slog. Uh, The Suns, anything else on them before we move on?
2: No, as I said, it was yeah, it was beating up on the on the contest, and yeah, looking at uh, inside fifty, they scored from forty seven percent of inside fifties to score, which mm. is third for the round. I think they were sort of bottom three against Essendon the week before. We so. did say
0: at the start of the season, I tell you what, the Miller Miller Anderson Raul and and Witts, it's a it's a pretty good, it's a uh, very underrated mid,
2: yeah, it's yeah. an
1: underrated midfield in terms of their four plays you can put into every centre yeah. bounce and know what you're gonna get. Uh, the D's sort of flexed and showed a bit more of those premiership credentials that we we talked about earlier in the season over the Swans who'd also had a really good start Um, Van Ruyen on debut three Mm. goals needed to come in and play a role played it perfectly yep um so he had a good game. Cade Chandler, another three goals. Bailey Fritch, three. We talked about accuracy before. The Ds were very accurate. 21-8 in the end over the Swans, uh, 12-12. Yep, so
2: one thing we measure is offensive efficiency. So it's your points scored per 50 minutes of time in forward half. So again, you know, if you want a quick stat explainer, we have the time in forward half differential that you might see on, on the TV graphic. Time in forward half is basically just the ball in your half, whether you have the ball or not, or whether it's a boundary throw-in or a throw-up. It's just how many minutes the ball is spending in your half of the ground, whether you have possession or not. Um, But we can look at, okay, per 50 minutes of the ball's in your ground, how many points are you scoring per 50 minutes? Um, Melbourne were 143.8 points um, offensive offensive efficiency on the weekend, um, which was their best in a game since 2018, which was round nine against Carlton and the best in the game against Sydney since round 16, 2015. So basically, once Melbourne got the ball forward to centre, they were scoring, and you just reeled mm. off all their goal kickers then. That's been the biggest strength of Sydney. Sydney just don't leak scores. They're so right. hard to play against. Their pressure's always up. But as I said, yeah, Melbourne, it was, it's, I think it's only the sixth highest um, across the last two years' um, offensive efficiency, but... It was one of Melbourne's weaker points. Even when they were winning the premierships, they were always Oh, their inside 50s were
1: off the charts, but their scores yeah. were, were just... So they always
2: 9th, 10th or 11th for offensive efficiency, and Sydney's always been top three. And all this yeah.
0: without Max Gorn. I mean, how <laughs> could that happen? Well, that's
2: what <laughs> I said. They Jeez. had the other best Ruckman in the comp. We're Brody 44 Grundy, minutes so into yeah. the podcast, and so he's had to get a Ruckman. No, uh, they're not Ruckman-less nah, yet. Um, but yeah, as I said, it was, it was one of those stats that hasn't been a strength for Melbourne in the past, this offensive efficiency, where it has been a strength for Sydney to restrict that. Mm. It got flipped on its head... Uh, in that one game so melbourne just being able to score but just a quick look on sydney yeah no no panic for me i mean they were eighteenth for contested possession differential for the weekend so just beaten up by the does that up- say
0: more about sydney or
2: melbourne Melbourne, though? that's what i'm saying yeah. you come up against one of the best contested possessions team you you know you, if you don't beat them in it you're going to struggle to win the game and they mm. showed that um you know they were 15th for pressure which again that's something that the opposition doesn't always control that's something you can apply yourself yeah. They've been top two consistently for the last two years for pressure. So to drop 15th, they were a little bit off that night.
0: Bit bit disappointing, though, for their midfield to be beaten
2: yeah. that. So, yeah, so it was a bad night. That's what I'm saying. So it was a bad night for the midfield, but they were still across the game. Third best team for the round for moving the ball. They were still, so that's moving the ball from one end to the other. They were third best. They were sixth for points scored from defensive half. So they're still able to sort of score enough. It was just the way their midfield was beaten in contested possessions and their low pressure numbers, which I don't think Sydney are going to serve up too Mm. often across the year. So, as I said, nothing to worry too much about Sydney. I think it was just one of those bad games.
1: Finally, the Derby. Uh, Dockers, gee, was a bit of a slog there uh, trying to sort of see off the (laughs) the Eagles who had seven injured at one point, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I think I I saw on 360 last night, Simo was saying that players were asking to come off and play with 17 for a bit. And he said, no, no, stay out there. So finally, that was one of the stats I had. So final quarter, one
2: Frio player played 100% game time. Uh, It was either Brennan Cox or Alex Pierce one of their key defenders. Fourteen West Coast players had to play 100 percent of the fourth quarter, so uh, it you can't be good for their
1: long-term health either and their recovery. Um, but no, look, they put a, they put a S- S- show that. in considering the the Eagles. I mean, Shoey out again. You just can't get on the Park County, and he you saw his frustration afterwards when he got subbed out when he when he hit the wall. Um, this is a guy that was probably best on ground up until that point. His mm. his burst away from stoppage, his delivery inside fifty, you know, vintage. Vintage Luke Shuey, and just, we're just robbed of, of seeing him again.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, I, you got to feel for West Coast fans because there's. I was just saying to Christian before we started, like, who are the players that have missed the most time over the last four, five, six seasons? And the players that you think off the top Nat of your Nui. head, they seem to be a lot of Yo, West Coast players. Yeah. Shuey.
2: So it's, yeah, uh, it's a bit stiff. And I got, I got the number. I mean, Nat Nui is surprisingly 13th worst, so 65%. It's probably the. Looking at the names, it's probably the. the their opponent from the weekend that's probably been uh, just as unlucky. Sam Switkowski is the fourth lowest uh, for durability. So he's, a, he's only played 55% of his games, but I think the first two years he had was glandular he the, fever. Was he in their Oh, best that's right. No, he had some, point? yeah. Again, probably, yeah. It was more he missed games at, when he first got there, mm-hmm. but he did come across as a mature age recruit. So when we spoke to Frio, they said he'll be in our round one side. Okay. And then he got glandular so fever and didn't as play a, the whole year. Yeah. So he wasn't in their best 22 yet, but I think they had so seen the value number one. In him.
1: Uh, no, Caleb
2: Marchbanks actually number one for oh. so Carlton and GWS. <laughs> Marcus Adams, which is unfortunate, he's yeah, going yeah. to two. Who's probably, um, well, he might not play again. Yeah. So whether he gets it, uh, taken out and David Cunningham's another one who maybe making yeah. his return. I think via the VFL. He via this played VFL yeah, yeah. So he's he's coming back into it. And Alex Pierce fifth. So two Freo players up there. Um <laughs> But that was on the durability stuff. So yeah, Nat Nui surprisingly 65% of his games. Maybe, maybe it's that knew he's
0: had more injuries. Like I feel like he, he this is a comes here, back and yeah, then he's yeah. out again. Whereas yeah. these guys might miss the full year long, with something. time.
2: Yeah. Uh, Frio. just before we move on. Yeah. So again, a win that they had 63 inside fifties most for the round. Um, but yeah, like they didn't, they still didn't put on, you know, huge score on the scoreboard until late in that game. 16th for post clearance contested possessions. They're still, again, the opposite to Sydney. They, they got the four points, Freo, but there's still a lot of issues in terms of a few of those uh, worrying signs last year that you weren't great forward of the ball and you weren't great in contest mm. uh, hasn't, been, hasn't improved this year. So still, yeah, as I said, um, still some worrying signs for Freo in, even though they got the four points. West Coast, again, flip it on the other way, there's positive signs there that their game is changing. So we talked about they were sort of stuck in that old kick-mark-handball yeah. game whether it's because of personnel change or whatever so you look at 2022 they kick forward 79.9 percent of the time from a set position so take a mark get a free kick and they're going to go forward 80 percent of the time sideways or backwards 20 percent uh this week they went forward from a set position 91 percent of the time which was the second highest of any team uh and as i said they they won the contested so they had the third best post clearance contested possession of any team so they would able to take ground, not be mm. perfect with the ball, and then win the next contest when it did spill from the spoil and things like that, which is probably two area of the games that West Coast have tried to protect themselves off. They didn't have a lot of contests, yep. weren't great at contested ball and weren't weren't willing to take the game on with forward ball movement. For two weeks in a row, they've shown that. So um, one win, one loss in that time. But, yeah, it is sort of the wheels are turning for free, and
1: I think they're... They're going to blood some new youngsters, and I think we're going to see a new game style under Simpson going forward. Interesting. Uh, we are getting into a red time of this podcast, proudly brought to you by Subway, Jake. Time for Is the Hype Justified or Is it Hyperbole? The segment where I'll say a statement, you tell me whether the hype is justified, or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Easy after after Jamar Yugo hagan came into the press conference with Bevo after the Dogs win, a player should be put up at every post-match press conference after the match.
0: I love it. Yeah. That is justified, hundred percent. They do it in other sports. They do it in the NRL. Yep. Um, they there's other codes. They do it too. I I like it. I don't know the why NBA
1: put a put a player up.
0: Yeah, and it shouldn't just be the captain or the same player each week. I'd love to see. Um. So for that example, you you bring Jamar up, and then the next week, you know, maybe Adam Trullo had a great game. You bring him up. So you're always bringing different players put up for a loss and, too. For a loss. Yeah, I think both both. Um, we get the coaches win or lose. Why not get a player win or lose? Who's um,
2: who's picking the player?
0: Well, that's the question, and I guess it would have to be the club. Who else is going to pick it? The AFL, I mean. So I, I think the club picks it, and I get that. Then they're going to they're not going to want to put you know if if something I said before, Cosy pick it in round one. You know they're going to want to put him up, probably not. So I get that, but I still think it would be great, and I think it'd be good to. Because you'd get the, you usually get that raw immediate reaction of players after a game, which is the usual sort of stuff. But I think after they've had sort of, you know, maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes to just sort of calm down and get yeah. off the
2: ground and, and ask more specific questions. Yeah, as well. and then and you can
0: sort of get a little bit more from them.
2: I mean, they're probably hearing it from the coach directly, but I, I don't think it would be, I think it'd be beneficial for the player to sit in those press conferences and hear the coach answer some of those questions and mm. sort of get a feel for how the game actually did yeah. go, did it go according to plan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Like Definitely.
1: Uh, Christian, with four umpires on the field, and given they hand off 50-metre penalties from one umpire to the other, the AFL should come up with a more scientific way to measure 50-metre penalties. Oh, I have the. Uh, I think I'll go the anti-stat answer for this one, but no, it's a, it's an interesting <laughs> quirk of the game. Like, how are we going to make <laughs> it's them such perfect? The old, so old 35. Yeah.
2: So we're going to give them, what, an iPhone to sort of count out the 50-metres? <laughs> the old, old measure app. Yeah, Surely
1: there's a way that someone can, like... Drag from a point to a point on the ground. What are those and things and called communicate they? It to the like umpire. wheel along? What are they yeah. called? <laughs> get the, the stick wheelers. Yeah, no, it's got a name. What's it <laughs> called? I don't know what it's called. You yeah. tested me. Um, but, but yeah, again, I, I, I've never
2: seen a problem with it. So I get that some, you know, you always make the comment, gee, that's a short 50 or that's a long 50, but... But you never make the comments. Gee, that's the that's the yeah. that's fifty. It's they gave a, that the right, that's the right <laughs> distance. Um, it's a small part of the game, right. but again, I mean, yeah, I, s- I I couldn't see the game stopping for the umpire to pull out a device or something to work out what no, fifty metres was. I'd have to be communicated was, from a box somewhere. And especially now that you can play on, I think yeah, don't don't touch another rule. Just just keep it the Fair way enough. it is. Uh,
1: Jake. Really quickly for these mm. two, Nick Dakos is calling best player. He's not, but he's very close.
0: And like I said before, if we were doing this uh fifty best players in the league. Again, as of now, with these three games taken into consideration, then he's definitely in it. Um, would you he... tag him? Uh, yeah, I probably would. I think so. I think you're more likely to, to limit his influence than you are someone like Jordan Ngoi, who's playing really well. And I think he's
1: their best player at the moment. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, Mason Wood is the most improved player in the AFL. Uh, he'd be up there. He was good last year, too, as well. So, I think again, I think it's been a slow
2: burn for some of the for some of the people to catch on to how valuable Mason Wood is. But, yeah, one of those players that was just misused uh, or, you know, incorrectly used early in his career, he's always a big body sort of seen as a hybrid medium forward. He's got a tank just to run up and down the wing yep. all, all day long, which he's been doing for St. Kilda for um, probably 18 months now. So 27 touches up, on the weekend? Yeah, up there. But, yeah, I, I don't know if he's the most improved this year.
1: Uh, Ron Connolly's is on the Footyology podcast on Wednesdays. He's with Rocket Ede, previewing every single game of every single round. So make sure you catch up with that as well. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, we're at Footy Tips on Twitter. We'll take any of your questions, your comments, your feedback and... Oh, within reason. Okay, within reason, says Jake. <laughs> uh, he's at J Michael's I ESPN. I positive feedback. Only. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good to have you back, Jake. Christian, good to speak with you as always. To everyone at home, we will speak to you in the next podcast.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN footy pod, wherever you get your podcasts.